A lot of you have been asking me for insomnia treatment options, so I want to let you know I have launched an insomnia treatment course. It's a very structured and effective treatment program with a lot of clinical evidence support. So one course is in Chinese and one is in English. You can find it at deepintosleep.co forward slash insomnia. Hi, welcome to another episode of Deep Into Sleep. I'm your host, Ishan. So today, let's talk about depression and sleep. If we feel depressed, it's very common for us to experience quite a lot of sleep problems. For example, we may have difficulties falling asleep, cannot stay asleep, we don't feel refreshed in the morning, and we feel sleepy during the daytime. On the other hand, if we don't feel depressed, but we have insomnia, then we actually have a tenfold risk of developing depression compared to others who actually sleep well. So what is depression? What does it look like? Can we do anything about it? Today, I'm so excited to have Dr. David Burns to come to our episode talking about his knowledge and expertise in treating depression. Dr. Burns used to be a psychiatrist in Stanford, and his classic book, Feeling Good, has helped so many people with depression and anxiety to get better after reading the book. Now he comes to our show with his new book, Feeling Great, and he will explain what are the modern technologies and new ideas of treating depression and anxiety. So for this episode, we're going to talk about depression. And for next episode, you will hear more about anxiety. Let's get started. Welcome, Dr. Burns. Welcome to Deep Into Sleep. Thank you, Ishan. It's a real honor to be on your show. I'm just delighted. Dr. Burns, actually, I'm your huge fan because your book, Feeling Good, was possibly one of the first therapy book I ever read in my life. And I think that totally changed how I view therapy, how I view psychology. Yeah. And I know you, uh, that book came out like 1980s and got really popular, helped a lot of people, I heard. Yes. it, uh, It started out slow because my publisher was convinced it had no potential. So they, they didn't back it at all. And uh, they just kept reprinting it because, uh, you know, it was kind of by word of mouth. And then in 1988, it suddenly went to the top of the New York Times bestseller list after I was on a national television show. And it has sold millions of copies, you know, since since that that time. Uh, And one of the reasons is, I think, because uh, there's been research published in psychology journals primarily that have shown that if you hand the book feeling good to someone who's moderately to severely depressed and they have no other treatment in four weeks uh, 50 to 65 percent of them will be recovered or improved uh, substantially and I think that's one of the reasons the book has been so popular is because doctors will you know, recommend it to to patients, and people will recommend it to friends, knowing that there's a, a really good chance that they'll recover or improve uh, as a result of of reading the book. Yeah, definitely. I definitely recommend uh, this book to a lot of my Chinese patients because it's also a very popular in China. 
for the translated version, it helped a lot of people. Either they are willing to seek professional help or because of strong stigma, they don't want to. They just want to read a book to help themselves. Right. Your book is really, really great. Yeah. One of my Chinese students uh, at Stanford, one of the psychiatric residents I supervised, was also raised in China. And he told me, I don't know if it's still the situation, but he thought there wasn't even a word in Chinese language for depression. Hmm. Now we, at least we, I know some words to, um, like equal to depression. Yeah, I see. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and he also said that it, it's kind of shameful to, uh, in China to be depressed. And so, you know, you're supposed to stay home so other people don't find out that you're depressed or something like that. I don't, I don't know if that's valid, but there's certainly a stigma in the United States as well. Right. The stigma is really strong, possibly stronger in China. Totally. A lot of people equal depression to suicide, to uh, craziness. And when people don't know how to support their families who are depressed, sometimes, yeah, they, they don't have other place to seek help. They may stay at home. And it's really sad. The situation gets better now, but I think still the public needs a lot more education. The mental health resources need to be built up further. Yeah, absolutely. Same in the U.S. You know, a lot of people in the U.S. feel uh, ashamed if they're depressed or and especially if they're anxious or have anxiety disorders you know like almost everyone with social anxiety feels ashamed of the fact that they have social anxiety thinking that that shows there's something profoundly wrong with them and you see a lot of shame and panic attacks uh, sometimes an, an obsessive compulsive disorder uh, shame is very highly associated with uh, with anxiety, whereas low self-esteem is more commonly associated with depression. Mm, yeah, totally makes sense. And so because all this stigma, how people think about depression and anxiety, so it's especially, I think, more and more important nowadays for people to have good resources, legit knowledge, skills, coping strategies to deal with those issues. And I know you are writing a new book, which is going to come out this month. Very exciting. Do you want to talk more about that? Well, you know, I loved feeling good. And my publishers asked me to revise it because it's been out for 40 years. And I looked at it and I didn't have the heart to revise it because I I thought, wow, this is really a beautiful book. It's all tightly enmeshed with itself, and it's still working really great. But then I thought, I've got radically new and even more powerful techniques now than when I wrote Feeling Great. So it's really time for the first true sequel to Feeling Good. And so I've been working on Feeling Great for about three years, and it's due to be released uh, officially on September 15th. We'll have all of the techniques that were in Feeling Good, except more refined and better versions of them, but a whole fantastic new technology that I've developed in the last 10 or 15 years at my weekly uh, psychotherapy training group at Stanford. And the new techniques have made ultra rapid recovery possible for the, for the first time for many, for many people. And I'm hopeful that when people read Feeling Great, 
there's a lot of exercises, written exercises to do while you're reading, so you can really learn and master these techniques. And I just hope and pray that it will have the same healing effects for many people that my first book, Feeling Good, had. And, and my, my hope, my real hope, is that it will be even more effective than Feeling Good because the new techniques are way more powerful than the techniques in, in Feeling Good. And one of the neat things about it, too, when we're talking about the issue of shame, is that one of the new ideas in, in the new book is that your depression and anxiety are not the result of what's wrong with you like a chemical imbalance in your brain. That idea has been promoted for decades, but it's, there's never been any evidence for that. It's kind of been proven to be false, to be honest. And then we sometimes think, well, if I'm depressed or anxious, I must have a, a mental disorder, like that you can find in the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual from the American Psychiatric Association. And then that, that can cause shame too. Oh, you're depressed. Oh, I'm depressed. I'm, I have a mental disorder. Or you may think you have a personality defect of some kind. But what we've discovered, and this is what makes the people able to recover now so quickly, is that depression and anxiety are not the result of what's wrong with you, but what's right with you. And although that's absolutely unintuitive, once the patient sees that, and I can give examples to show you what I mean, the moment they see that, bang, uh, recovery is just a stone's throw away. And it's a paradox because not my, my role is no longer to try to sell change to people, but instead to sell them on how awesome all these presumably negative feelings are, what they show about you and your core values that's beautiful and awesome and what are some tremendous benefits to you of depression and anxiety and hopelessness and anger and shame and, and, and worthlessness and at first people say oh how could there be anything good about my worthlessness and then you start to go into what it it shows about you that's that's really pretty mind-blowing and the moment the patient suddenly sees it it's like an aha experience and all that shame disappears and then it's really very easy to crush the negative thoughts that cause the, sh the, the shame the worthlessness the anger the anxiety and the depression that, that's kind of a brief overview of what's unique about the, the new the new approaches we've been developing Wow, I really love that. So if we have anxious feelings, depressive feelings, it's not necessarily because what's wrong with me and this labeling, I know it's really significant for a lot of people. But by thinking about what's, what's right about us and remind me a lot of time we help people understand anxiety is not bad. It, it gave us motivation. It gave us signals. It helped us a lot. I really like this, this new approach you describe in your new book. Yeah. For example, um, I'm not in private practice anymore, but I, I haven't been for more than 20 years since I came back to Stanford from Philadelphia, where, where I was at, at UPenn. But I, I'm so addicted to treating people. I treat people all the time for free, and I do it a lot of times in the context of my, my teaching. And at a, an intensive a few years ago uh, for mental health professionals, a woman volunteered to be the patient. And then I treated her live in front of the audience with a colleague, Dr. Jill Levitt, who was my co-therapist. And I teach with her at my Tuesday group at Stanford. 
but this woman had had nine years of intense guilt and shame and uh, severe depression, severe anxiety, inadequacy, hopelessness, just everything at the top of the, the scale. And she hadn't been able to get any relief, although she herself was a psychologist for nine years. And then at the beginning, I always say, what's the event that's upsetting you? What are your negative feelings? And what are your negative thoughts? And the event was that her daughter had been shot in the face nine years earlier. And she was blaming herself for this because her, her daughter had, had said, you know, mommy, can I go out and play after dinner? And her daughter had been going out to play for years. And so she, she said, yeah, okay, fine, you, you can go out. And then some neighborhood boys snuck up on her and they had a high-powered pellet rifle. And they aimed and, and shot it. It went right into her mouth. It hit two teeth and it exploded. And there was a lot of damage to her mouth and face. And she ran inside and she was screaming and blood was pouring out of her mouth. And then this led to nine years of, of attempts to help her daughter with uh, psychotherapy that didn't work. And then multiple uh, surgeries on her mouth and, and face. And she was telling herself, <clears throat> this is my fault. I never should have let her go out and play. I'm, I'm a bad, bad mother. And she was also telling herself the people here in the audience are probably judging me too and thinking I'm a bad mother. mother. And these thoughts made her feel intense, intense anxiety and shame. And that, that's so t typical when you're struggling with, with depression and anxiety. You, you kind of get these distorted thoughts that you think that everything's your fault and that, that you're a failure and, and that you're no good. But before we helped her crush these thoughts that were making her miserable, we do what we call positive reframing and say, you know, what do these negative thoughts and feelings show about you, Karen? That was her name. What does it show about you and your core values that's positive and, and awesome? And also, what are some benefits to you, your depression, your anxiety, your inadequacy? Because if we had a magic button, and if you press this magic button, everything will disappear and you'll go into a state of euphoria. I said, would you press that button if we had it? She said, oh, absolutely. And I said, well, maybe it's not such a good idea. Let's Let's... Let's see what all this, these negative thoughts and feelings show about you that's really awesome and positive. Can you think of anything off the bat, uh, Ishan? Hmm. She's saying, I'm a bad mother. She's feeling ashamed. She's feeling guilty. Mm -hmm. But these, uh, carrying on this really helps her, like tells her she cares about her daughter. She really wants to be there her daughter perfect yeah that's that's the type of thing it's, these thoughts show that she's a very loving a, a loving daughter and her anxiety is a good thing because uh she, she's doing everything she can to protect her daughter and, and to help her daughter and her self-criticism show that she has a, a very high standards which she acknowledged and that her high standards have motivated her to accomplish a tremendous amount and then in addition, instead of blaming the world, she, she's looking at herself. What did I do wrong? What should I be doing differently? And, and so it shows her humility uh, as well. She's not ar arrogant. She's, she's being realistic about, well, she has many flaws. We, we all have many flaws and she's being honest about that. And there were other things too. So we took about maybe the first 
20 minutes or so empathizing and then having her list all these beautiful things about her. And then we said, well, maybe, gosh, given all these beautiful things, if you press that magic button, your depression and anxiety will vanish. You'll go into a state of euphoria. But is that what you want? Your daughter is suffering. You want to be euphoric about that? You, you, you see, maybe your sadness is appropriate. And she said, oh, you're right. And she suddenly saw, saw it. And then we say, well, maybe we shouldn't get rid of all these feelings. Maybe we'll just tone them down a little with a magic dial instead of a magic button. How depressed would you want to be? You, you've been 100% for the last nine years in a state of misery. If we could dial it down, how depressed would you want to be? She, she said, oh, like 5% is plenty. <laughs> and then how depressed you, how anxious do you want to be? So 10% is enough. And then once they dial down their feelings, then it's much easier to work with them because you see the resistance to recovery is because of the good parts about the negative thoughts and feelings. And the subconscious mind knows that. And once she sees, oh, I don't have to get rid of them. I just dial them down. Then it's really easy to help her crush these thoughts, which are greatly distorted. And then at that point, we just showed her how to talk back to the thoughts and did role plays with her. And it, she was able to crush the thoughts and see how distorted they are. How could I have known that she was about to get shot? That's, that's impossible. She started seeing things that she'd been kind of not, not aware of. And at the end of the session, her depression and anxiety not only went to zero, I'd say they, they went to minus 200 because she went into a state of euphoria. Everything went to zero or below zero. That's how the new therapy works. And most of the time when I'm working with people, I pretty much just see them for one session. And, mm. and that's the end of, of treatment. Then you do relapse prevention training and if they want to work on something else, they can. But most of the cases, that's all that's needed. And I dreamed about this when I was a psychiatric resident because the treatment I learned in medical school and psychiatric residency at, at University of Pennsylvania were so slow and ineffective. I, I hardly ever had a single depressed patient re recover my whole residency. Uh, they, they would get a little better. I'd be throwing antidepressants at them, but I, I hardly ever saw someone go into joy and a complete elimination of depression. And now I see it 90% of the time when I'm working with people, I see it just the, the first time I sit down with them and it takes two hours. I can't, usually can't do it in an hour, but, but then it's kind of like you've done a whole course of therapy and it just makes it such a joy, and, and I'm, I'm hopeful that the new book will make these tools available to the general public, people all over the world. I hope they'll be able to, I've written it just like feeling good in really simple, clear language, but I'm really hoping that it will, uh, you know, have a healing effect. And then I'm also working on a feeling great app with several tremendous young colleagues, uh, pr programmers, it's going to be like David in a bottle type of thing mm -hmm. so that it's, they, they can awesome. actually get their own <laughs> kind of like uh, feeling great therapy through an interactive online program. And we're, we've been working like crazy on that. And we're excited about it. We're, we're getting some beta testers 
already. And, and if that is effective too, that can be another thing that can help people all, all over the world. Maybe we can get it translated into Chinese too, if the data is super promising. Definitely. Wow. This is awesome because nowadays we are all on our phone. One click away, we get yeah. Dr. Burns there to like your knowledge and uh, all this great method to help people. Um, yeah, really look forward to the data and when it come out. And Thank your you. example is so powerful. Feels yeah. like you really help the person dig deep to their own value system, what really there, instead of the surface level suffering, really help them see another side of depression, why they are holding this pain for so long and torturing themselves, beauty in it. Yeah, exactly. You've got it. Exactly. It's so great to talk to you because you <laughs> see it in a flash. I sure appreciate that. Yeah, wow. That that's such a powerful. I totally can understand to the person who you helped. That would be such an aha moment because it's there. It just got buried so deep they never are able to see it. Yeah. Well, it took me years to figure it out because I was trained in psychopharmacology and traditional psychiatry that there's something wrong with you and it's my job to fix you with pills and psychotherapy. Yeah, the disease model, right? Yeah, right. Yeah. Mm. yeah, and I know positive psychology now are really is really popular, and we more like in clinical field we work on more like exploring values, and feels like your book really combined a lot of this great evidence based component in it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's definitely a positive approach and it's kind of turning the field upside down too. This disease-based approach is appropriate for some things like schizophrenia is definitely due to some organic damage in the brain. We don't know the cause, but it's it's not just a normal feeling. It's sad and and tragic, uh, you know, and and, and severe. Hopefully one day we'll know the cause <clears throat> and the treatment. And then bipolar one, where you get full-blown mania, that's also a biological, biologically-based disorder. But 90% of what's in the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, the DSM, aren't brain disorders. They're, they're feelings that people have. And when you look at the, the DSM, to me, it's just nutty. I mean, I was trained in, in depression research, and we we're diagnosing, do you have a major depressive disorder, and you have to have all these criteria. And when you look at the criteria, they're, they're nutty. Like, to have a major depressive disorder, you have to have uh, 14 days of fairly severe, whatever that means, depression. So on midnight of the 14th day, you have a brain disease you didn't have five minutes earlier. It, it's just nutty. It makes it makes no sense. Most human beings get sad and down at times. Maybe all of us, but there isn't any certain many days when that you you have a brain disease. You you just have depression, and it's easily treatable now. Also, the same with anxiety. They say if you've had six months of worrying, and most people worry, and you have to worry about two or more things, more days than not. And on midnight of the day that's the sixth month, you have 
a disease called generalized anxiety disorder that you didn't have the day before. But it's it just it's just like Alice in Wonderland, fant- fantasy land stuff. Anxiety is treatable, but you don't have like a brain disease because you worry a lot. It's 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 a problem, and it's a problem we can can help. And we now have really powerful models to understand anxiety and and extremely powerful treatment techniques for rapid results uh, in, in most cases. Amazing stories! I feel so empowered by it, and hopefully that inspired you too. Remember, no matter how hard life is, never give up hope. So this is today's conversation with Dr. Burns about depression. You can find both his books "Feeling Good" and his new book "Feeling Great" on Amazon. I think "Feeling Great" will be released in the mid of September. You can pre-order it. I did, and I really look forward to reading it. And if you want to learn more about the association between insomnia and depression, you can go to National Sleep Foundation's website. They have a great article summarizing a lot of relevant research, and I will put a link on our show notes at deepintosleep.co. Thank you for joining us on today's episode, episode fifty-one, all about depression with Dr. Burns. So next episode, episode fifty-two. We will continue our conversation with Dr. Burns about anxiety. He will share with us some personal stories how he overcome speech anxiety himself. Stay tuned. I will see you next week. Sleep is an individual thing. We all sleep differently, and there is so much we can do to improve sleep quality. Keep hope and carry on. This podcast is for general informational purpose only and does not include the practice of medicine or other health professional services. Usage of the information we share is at the listener's own risk, and our content does not intend to be a substitute for any medical and professional services, diagnoses, and treatment. Please seek professional health services as needed. Are you suffering from insomnia? I promise you. The CBTI method in my course will definitely help you. Even if several nights of better sleep, that would be a world-changing experience for you. I have had so many success from my insomnia patients who have taken this course over the years. If you know someone who are struggling with sleep, go to my website and check out my course at deepintosleep.co/insomnia.